1: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. I'm your host, Andrea Matthews, and today we're going to be interviewing Dr. Lindsay Gibson. uh, And she comes to us today to bring some of her expertise on the subject of surviving and thriving, even though one was raised by immature parents. The central challenge of our adult lives is unloosening the toxic ties in which we were bound by immature parents. In fact, I would say that we do not mature into adulthood ourselves until we can heal from the wounds and the distortions of reality presented to us by immature parents. Somehow this wound becomes the pathway to freedom, hope, and authenticity when we can begin the process of recovery. Dr. Gibson is going to talk to us today about her latest book, Self-Care for Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. Stay here for this whole show. You don't want to miss it. So just a little bit about Dr. Gibson. Uh, Lindsay Gibson holds both a master's and doctoral degree in clinical psychology. She's been a psychotherapist for over 35 years, working in both public and private practice. In the past, Dr. Gibson has served as an adjunct assistant professor for the Virginia Consortium Program in Clinical Psychology, teaching doctoral students clinical theory and psychotherapy techniques. She specializes in working with adults on personal growth and dealing with emotionally immature family members. Dr. Gibson is the author of four books, Who Were You Were Meant to Be, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, Recovering from Emotionally Immature Parents, and Self-Care for Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. She's also written a monthly column on well-being for the Tidewater Woman and Tidewater Family Magazines for over 20 years. Her website is available at www.drlindsaygibson.com. Dr. Gibson lives and works in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Welcome, Lindsay, to the show. I'm so glad to have you here today.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure, Andrea. Thank you for having me.
1: All right. Well, let's just sort of jump right in there. I want to know a little bit more about, uh, you know, I noticed following your work that you specialize in your private practice and working with adult children of emotionally immature parents. What drew you to that specialization? Well, it kind of
2: arrived in my office um, as a realization that I had one day that the people that had come to me for therapy who were sitting in my office looking for help were describing interactions with people in their lives that were really distressing, really unsettling um, with uh, boundary invasions, people who didn't listen to them, uh, people who were very self-absorbed. And as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, why is this person in my office uh, and these other people who seem very self-centered, very emotionally immature, they're out there uh, pretty much running wild, and yet this person who is suffering from their behavior is the one that's coming in to get a psychiatric diagnosis and be treated. <laughs> so so there was something about that that really caught my attention and seemed like it was um, made the world seem a little upside down about who, who was identified as having a problem. And I found that when I would reflect to, these people who were coming into my office, and these were people, Andrea, who were coming in for all kinds of uh, problems. Um, They didn't self-identify at that point as being children of emotionally mature parents, of course, but these people that came in, when I started to tell them about what I knew about emotional immaturity just from psychological development, uh, it really seemed to turn a light on for them about why they were going through the troubles that they were having in these relationships. And also it allowed them to see that their quest to become themselves, to have more of a authentic life, uh, that that was something that was good and honorable and healthy. And it wasn't uh, the selfish act that a lot of the people in their lives were telling them that it was. So just working with a bunch of people with a bunch of different problems often led back to some kind of problem with these emotionally immature people. And that's when I got really interested in studying it more and expanding my ideas to be able to describe to them what I thought was going on.
1: Right. Yeah, it just just it just sort of took a life of its own then, didn't it?
2: Yes, it it really did. And um it begins to uh make sense and generate more and more ideas as you go along and you see more people through this lens and pretty soon uh it became something that I found I could talk about Um, you know very easily very clearly with people and for the most part many of my clients knew exactly what I was talking about and found it very helpful
1: yep yep okay so in your earlier book Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents you tell us that there are four different kinds of emotionally immature parents can you tell us just a little bit
2: yeah um These were four types that I came up with after just talking to many people in psychotherapy and the types of issues that they had with their parents and the types of problems, and they kind of began to fall into these four categories. Um, The first one is what I call the emotional parent, and they are pretty much what the word sounds like, they tend to be very emotionally volatile, uh, mood swings, their emotions are uh, very intense, um, they're very self-absorbed, and they have a lot of trouble stabilizing themselves. So, usually, they become the focus of the family, and that person's emotional distress Uh, whether it's male or female, takes over uh, all the resources of the family and everyone in the family starts reacting to them. And it's very... That particular parent is very upsetting to children because uh, these are not happy parents. These are distressed, um, unstable people who tend to blame others for their problems. So when you're a child and your parent is very volatile and tends to fall apart and then they tend to look at other people like they're causing their distress, that sets up a very um, negative kind of feeling in the child because children, you know, they tend to blame themselves for things like that. So that's that's a very difficult parent to, to have to deal with. And then there is the driven parent, and the driven parent is the one that looks normal. In fact, in the American culture, they probably look better than normal <laughs> because they align with our cultural values of extroversion, high activity, um, you know, getting degrees, uh, being successful in your job, having a lot of activity and social life, and yet what they lack is they lack the ability to just kind of be there for their children in a warm, compassionate way, in which the child feels a true, deep connection. These people kind of skate away from that and keep things pretty superficial and busy. And what they do is they like to improve things, um, and they are perfectionistic, so their children always feel like they're never doing enough or they've never accomplished enough. And then there is the um, rejecting parent, and the rejecting parent is just what it sounds like. They they don't want to be bothered. They don't want the kid around. Um, they have um, their own things that they like to do, and they are very annoyed by children. And so that parent is just experienced as kind of wishing that the child wasn't there, which is, you know, very hard on the child's self-esteem. But sometimes many times, uh, that kind of parent will provoke a reaction in the child where the child keeps knocking themselves out trying to get the attention and the approval of that rejecting parent. It's a very sad kind of situation. And then finally, there is the passive parent. And the passive parent is unlike the other three in that these are often the fun parent. Um, They can be the parent who's Warm and playful and comforting, um, they can be the favorite parent of the child for these reasons because they are fun and they are uh, they are have more connection with the with the child. Um, but they really aren't available for protecting the child or really being there at a deep level when the child needs that connection. Um, they're certainly, uh, better than (laughs) than the, some of the other types, but it's like if it gets too deep or too serious, they tend to disengage. And when they should be stepping in to help that child, they kind of drift away. Um, typically they are the kind of parent that gets involved, uh, especially with the, um, the, uh, driven parent or the emotional parent, they tend to kind of enable the other parents behavior and really won't step in to, to help the child. But, um, I think many children have had more affection and more closeness than they would have otherwise having those kinds of parents.
1: Well, thank you for going over that. I, I hope that our listeners are gaining some information about, uh, perhaps if they have had some immature parents and they can sort of connect the dots here. So um, what is the effect on the authentic self of having one of these emotionally immature parents?
2: Well, I'm so glad that you asked that question. Um, it's something that is <clears throat> excuse me, very near and dear to my heart because I think with an emotionally immature parent, it is extremely difficult to allow your authentic self to be the center of your life, to be where you operate from. And that's because the emotionally immature parent has the need for other people to keep them emotionally stable, um, to help them with their distress, to sort of, uh, you know, keep them on a steady keel or help them get back to balance when they've flipped out over something. And that makes it so the child has to watch out for that parent's reaction and monitor that parent's emotions and behavior before they think about what they really feel or what they really want. So the parent begins to take up all the air in the room and the child is left fixated on how the parent is doing and they stop tuning in to what nurtures them, what's important to them, what is expressive of them and it's a it's a to me it's it's a tragedy of the first order when people have to sort of pack away their true self in order to survive in their family. And another thing that the emotionally mature parent does is they they need help um, with their self-esteem. So the child has to be very careful about what they say and how they say it so that that parent's shaky self-esteem is not threatened And both of those things, the the need to stabilize the parent emotionally and the need to build up their self-esteem, both of those things are very energy-intensive jobs. So the child doesn't have a lot of energy left over for getting in touch with themselves or um, expressing, you know, what would be true about them. And it's, it's just such a shame because that authentic self is where we get our joy in living and our sense of, um, you know, selfhood and our sense of being important in our own lives. And so, yeah, I'm glad, glad you asked about that, Andrew, because with emotionally immature parents, that disconnection from the self is one of the main things that happens.
1: Yeah, I, I I say that we send our authentic self into the closet to hide in there so that our parents won't know it's there.
2: Exactly. Yes, because they're really those parents are really not equipped to see the child as a individual selfhood with their own subjectivity. It, it's like the the parent sees the child through the lens of their own needs and the child becomes what what they used to call a need-satisfying object, (laughs) meaning that instead of being a little person in their own right, the parent only looks at them through the eyes of what they are doing for the parent. And yeah, that does not promote um, self-awareness and it makes the children feel very guilty whenever they do let that true self out of the closet because they feel like they've done something wrong or they've been disloyal to their parent, which is, you know, very painful.
1: Yes. And I'm I'm thinking now as we talk about, I believe it was Winnicott that came up with the idea of mirroring and how little mirroring these children get. So then it's hard for them to even know they have an authentic self.
2: Yes. Um, Yes. So true. And it's very important for children to, oh, there's been so much interesting research on mirroring and uh, facial expressions, micro expressions, and, and how we come to know our own state, our own emotional state through seeing them demonstrated on someone else's face. So we, we see the other person imitating our face, mirroring us. And then we look at their face and we say, Oh, okay. Okay. What is that? (laughs) And then if we're really lucky, our parent says, Oh, honey, you look upset. And then you're like, Oh, that's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling upset. (laughs) And, and this, this beautiful cycle of, uh, mirroring and naming emotions and, um, feeding back to the child. Yes, you're a real person. You really exist in there. I know that there's a, a subjectivity, a self-awareness that's inside you, and I'm relating to it because I'm interested in who you are. Yeah,
1: that which teaches. such an
2: important yeah.
1: Yes, and it teaches the child that the child matters. So, all right, we're going to take a break yeah. right now, and we'll be back in just a few minutes with more from Dr. Lindsay Gibson. Stay right here.
0: your world, motivate, change, succeed, VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Broaden your mind, open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. On Living Strong, the flip side of adversity, Dr. Veerdra Jackson presents stories and powerful guest experts from business, health, relationships, and faith every story has its flip side and we are here to delve into the story and challenge you to view what has kept you in a singular mindset and turn it into the flip side when you can effectively do that you'll experience necessary growth tune in live every thursday at 5 p.m eastern time and 2 p.m pacific time on the voice america empowerment channel you have the power to be
3: stronger
1: live fearlessly and enjoy the benefits of a great life Listen for Fearlessly Authentic with host Jody Harrison-Bauer. Jody has proven at an age when many start to slow down that she is just getting started. With two grown daughters, a successful business that she started at 50, a finalist in the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue, and a two-time World Bikini Champion, she's ready to take you to the next level in your life. Fearlessly Authentic airs Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment
3: live up to your fullest potential this is the
0: voice america empowerment channel you're listening to authentic living with andrea matthews we want to hear from you if you have a question or comment about today's show call in now toll free 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 You can also send your questions or comments by email to andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
1: And we're back talking today to Dr. Lindsay Gibson about her book, Self-Care for the Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. And that subtitle, if you want to know it, is Honor Your Emotions, Nurture Yourself, and Live with Confidence. This is a great book and it's a very, very helpful book, and I really would encourage the uh listener to go out there and get it for yourself and read every word of it. You will not be sorry you did. Okay, uh Lindsay, thank you again for being here. What is the effect of self deprivation and self-neglect?
2: Oh, that's a deep question. <laughs> yeah. It goes right to the right to the soul. Um It is, you know, you have to go back to what your beliefs are about what people are, I think, uh, to answer that question. And I think through my own experience, I just believe that people have this vital core self in them that, uh, you know, maybe kind of like the soul, maybe is something different from a soul, but but it's it's that you of you. It's that core place um, in yourself that holds your individuality and your particular viewpoint on on living and and um, other people and yourself. So when something comes along and messes up your relationship with that deepest part of yourself and makes it so that you feel ashamed or guilty or worried or embarrassed about your own most true impulses and thoughts and emotions. When when somebody sets you against your own nature, it makes you turn away from yourself, from who you really are, And become something that you're not, um, you may be able to imitate it, but it's not the most core element of yourself. And people will put on these kind of um, survival roles um, and adapt to what will help them fit into their family and help them to feel safe and loved. And when your need to feel safe and loved is in conflict with your true self, to me, that is such a tragedy because then you get what you just were talking about. You get that self-neglect and a tendency to look outside yourself for direction, and that Really never works because th- this self of ours is something that is so intrinsic that when people are not helped to get to know themselves and make a connection with that that core inside part of them, they start becoming symptomatic. Uh, they become anxious, they become depressed. And a lot of those symptoms, um, in my experience anyway, are related to the experience of having had to try to become something that they really are not. And so the effects of self-neglect can really go wide and deep and give people the kind of clinical symptoms that bring them into C-therapist. So to me, it's a very fundamental um, issue. And sooner or later in... Any kind of uh, in depth psychotherapy, we come back to that point where we are trying to help them get to know themselves, which basically means getting to know your emotions, your true thought um, and your stance or your opinion your your viewpoint on things and lots of times people don't even know what those things are because they've been living life from the standpoint of um, trying to please others or trying not to get in the way or trying not to be too needy, you know, whatever the, the issue is. And I think the best kind of psychotherapy helps to bring people back to that and integrate that true self back in the person's daily functioning. And when you do that, you get more spontaneity, more joy, better relationships, deeper relationships, and enjoyment of living. Because how can you enjoy life if you're not living it
1: from your true self? Right. So true. So true. Absolutely. Great explanation. Thank you so much for that. So, okay, yeah. we, we hear these terms self-care, uh, you know, people call it psychobabble. Self-care is just so important. I mean, can't we just get other people to take care of us? Really? <laughs> <laughs> well sure if you
2: can manage it <laughs> yeah um, yeah and that's that's the solution that emotionally immature people are trying to do by the way um, but yeah, I mean self-care is something that I don't even think is really uh, open for discussion anymore because all you have to do is look at somebody who's not taking care of themselves and look at how their life is going. Um, we don't get off taking care of ourselves without there being some kind of consequence. Like people who um, get into caretaking roles and they, uh, they want to be a good and self-sacrificing person and they don't think about their own limitations, and they get overextended and exhausted, you know, that's, that's just a, a, a sort of a, a big, dramatic example of poor self-care. But, you know, we take care of our automobiles, we take care of our houses, um, because we realize that things need attention if they're going to continue to work right, and people are no different. So, yes, if you can get someone to take care of you, (laughs) that will be fine until they break down um, or leave you. But we all are tasked with how do we learn how to see ourselves as worthy of being taken care of, and then how do we realize that we need to give ourselves the time and the contemplative Space to get to know what it is that we really respond to, what's really nurturing to us, what really refills our tank. And that self-care process is something that a lot of people have to learn in psychotherapy because they have been the ones that have been taking care of someone else, if not physically, um, certainly at an emotional level. So Mm -hmm. it's a very important... Um, necessity to stress to people so that they don't feel like they're being selfish or egocentric if they think about what it is that they need to.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that selfish thing is a big, big, big deal for a lot of people who come from emotionally uh, immature parents. They, They don't understand that self is just important. They think of self as a machine to, to or a mule, as I've heard, uh, uh, Clarissa Pinkola Estes calls it a mule. You can think of the self as a mule you kick to get you where you want to go. And, uh, yeah. and anytime we think otherwise, we feel like we're being selfish.
2: Yes, that's right. And, and that is something that takes some real dedication and work to reverse. In therapy it, it really, in my mind, that kind of attitude is brainwashing there's mm-hmm. not a a child that comes into this world that comes in um, looking to not take care of themselves or to uh, only think about other people it's, i mean we, we start out as great. Uh, at taking care of ourselves and thinking about our needs. We're just, that's where we're at when we're little children. But when you try to um, make yourself into what somebody else thinks is good, and boy, um, emotionally immature people, especially narcissistic people, are really um, skilled at, telling you whether you're good or bad according to how much you're satisfying their needs. Yeah. And so when you, um, when you don't pay attention to how it feels to you, you set yourself up to be self-sacrificing and nobody can stand that indefinitely without becoming symptomatic.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Okay, on that same vein, why do we need a strong sense of self then?
2: The strong sense of self comes from our connection to our our inner experiences, to our inner subjective experiences. And we need that strong sense of self because it's what's going on inside us. People Human beings have a very strong interior life um, you can chalk it up to imagination or you know um, our big brains or our educational system or whatever but the fact is that in order to get along in our societies you have to re- um, uh, you have to rely on things that go on inside you. You have to rely on your judgment. You have to use your imagination to be creative and solve problems. You have to know how you feel in order to um, communicate in your relationships. You have to know what interests you and what moves you emotionally in order to pick a career that you're going to be happy with for the rest of your life. I mean, you know, as they say in AA, it's it's all an inside job. Um, you can't do it from the outside in. So the true self is where it starts. It's where your life is maintained. It's where you make changes when circumstances are different that allow you to adapt and be resilient. So all of this comes from the inside. And if you're hooked up with your true self, that is your living life Um, you know, like the title of your program, if you're living your life from an authentic place in yourself, you don't have to be thinking twice about what you feel or what you think. You already know that. You're already at the starting line. You don't have to go back and excavate what you might think or what you might feel. You know it. And from that place, you're in a much better position to go forward with whatever the, you know, challenges in your life. You can't rely on your social role to help you when things get tough. You have to be connected up with your true self in order to respond in a way that's going to be good for you and it's going to address the problem.
1: Yes, absolutely. And so what I think I hear you saying here is that self-care puts us in touch with the authentic self?
2: Well, I think it depends on the type of self-care, Andrea. Like, Okay. You're, you know, unfortunately, of course, we live in a very extroverted social society in the United States anyway. Um, and so a lot of self-care has leaned toward things like you know, take a long bubble bath, go to the spa, get your nails done, um, <laughs> and so, or you know, go out with your friends or have a night on the town. But those things are, while they're fun, they may not be the kind of self care that a, a more introverted or more contemplative person might need. And we all need some contemplative time, some time when we go within in order to make contact with that inner world, make contact with those inner resources. Um, So the self-care, if it matches what you need on the inside, then it will be very helpful, very congruent. It will strengthen you. But if the self-care that you try to apply is not a good fit for what you're really interested in or what you really feel like doing, like I don't particularly enjoy spa days, okay? So that wouldn't be a big self-care item for me. I would be sitting there tapping my toe wanting to get out of there and and do something else. But if the self-care fits the true self, nourishes the self and the person feels lighter and brighter, they, they feel more um, uh, able to do the things that they want to do. You can tell when self-care is working, but it has to be the kind of self-care that is individually tailored to what excites you and interests you. Um, that's a very individual target. Right.
1: Right. That's a great explanation. I appreciate that because one of the things I do with my clients is I tell them to experiment with what what, you know, uh, touches them or or makes them feel lighter or makes them feel joy or makes them feel peace to experiment Mm -hmm. with that with just, you know, try this and see how that feels or try that and see how that feels. If you have a desire to paint, go paint and see what that's like. Or if you want to take Mm -hmm. a walk, just take a walk and see what that's like. Um, some of the yeah. extroverted things that you're talking about don't necessarily, like you said, apply to an introverted person. Yet, they can they can try that out and see if it it works.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like it's like the experimental method. Um, <laughs> yeah, because that's how people get back in touch with their true self uh, when they have gotten disengaged yeah. from you know that that inner guidance.
1: Yep, very good. Thank you very much. I appreciate that explanation. All right, we're going to take another break and we'll be back in just a few minutes with more from Dr. Lindsay Gibson on her book, Self Care for Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. Stay right here.
3: It's
2: your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
3: Things Worth Considering, featuring hosts Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis, is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore who we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way, things worth considering. Airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern time, 5 p.m. Pacific time on Voice America Empowerment.
0: Tune in each week. For Advancing All Women, hosted by Sarah Alter, the President and CEO of Network of Executive Women. Here, top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics for women in the workplace. From advancing women of color to developing and engaging male allies to how to navigate the new workplace post-COVID-19, Sarah will cover it all as she and her guests dig into these key issues. Listen every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America empowerment or catch our replays weekly on voice america influencers
3: are you looking for life's answers how about the meaning of true self can you really be a better person overnight well good luck with that now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions, some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Empowerment.
0: Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Voice <laughs> America You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
1: And we're back talking today to Dr. Lindsay Gibson about her book, Self-Care for Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. So, Lindsay, here's the $66 million question. How do we deal with difficult emotions such as anxiety, fear, anger, and sorrow? That's the that's the hardest part, isn't it?
2: Yes, it is. Um, but, you know, I, I have a... Kind of a different way of thinking about those emotions. Um, you know, part of what makes them so hard is that we don't understand where they're coming from or what they're about. I mean, if, if we have, um, something that directly happens and we have an emotional response to it, that's pretty clear cut. But anxiety and depression, um, and some of the other kinds of, um, feelings that, that people are struggling with um, often arrive in a way that is, you know, feels unpredictable or uh, the person doesn't understand why it's happening. And so they feel very disempowered by those emotions. So I always explain to people that your emotions are your messages from your inner self, and they're trying to nudge you toward what's going to be better for you. It's, it's like, um, you know, the heat from a stove uh, warns you away from putting your hand near it, okay? So, your emotions let you know when you are approaching something that, for whatever reason, is not good for you. And the same goes for symptoms, like let's say someone has panic attacks or um, maybe they have um, depression and they're not functioning the way that they want to. But I always try to get people to understand that these experiences are coming from a deep part of us that is really essentially complaining, (laughs) It's saying something's not right here, and the true self is saying, I'm not being listened to, and I'm not being taken care of, and these feelings are letting you know that you have to look deeper into your life and how you feel about things and get more at the truth so that you can be congruent and authentic in the way that you're living your life, bringing your true self in. So with, um, with self-care, the, the self begins to become your central guidance system. And once you start working on that, a lot of the symptoms that you know, might have been causing you trouble tend to decrease because they no longer have to get your attention. So that's, that's just a way that I approach um, thinking about um, these kinds of emotions and what the true self is trying to do with the emotions and symptoms.
1: So if a person, yeah, and I, I like that you separate out emotions from symptoms. That's really good. Uh, but I also wonder, like, for example, if, and I know we've got listeners out there that have this issue right now, that uh, if we talk about, say, for example, anxiety, if that person has what, we, what they would call an irrational anxiety that's not really warning them of anything that's happening, but it is just coming up with these intense feelings at the thought of getting up in the morning or going to work that day or anything that's just a normal part of their routine what would you say to that person about that?
2: Well, I always go into the feeling more deeply. For instance, I don't treat a symptom like that as just, you know, a symptom. And then how are we going to get rid of the anxiety? How are we going to um, get you up and moving? That's a part of it. That's a practical part of it. But, Really, I would go into how they were feeling the anxiety, what the thoughts were that were going through their mind as they were feeling the anxiety, what was the first thing they remembered experiencing before the anxiety hit. In other words, you do a a deep dive into where the anxiety arises from. Because lots of times, these kinds of symptoms are coming from an association to the past or they're coming from a fear of the future. But whether it's the the trauma from the past or the fear of the future, it's probably related to something that happened to that person earlier in life that they are now trying to uh, get past without really understanding what it was. So I think it's very important and very useful to help people understand that symptoms that look like they don't have any reason for being there, that it's a good working hypothesis to just figure that that symptom was a way that you found probably early in life to help you with something that was going on in your life as a child. And it may not be appropriate anymore. It may not even be helpful anymore, but it has a reason. And if you can look at it from the standpoint of this was a survival tactic or this came from um, uh, my efforts to uh, do things a certain way to stay safe, you become friendly toward your own symptoms symptoms, and it helps you to work with them more productively rather than just trying to get rid of the symptom.
1: Right. Right. Thank you. That's a great explanation. So you talk in the book about writing down your thoughts and emotions. Why is that so important?
2: Well, a couple of reasons. Um, if you are, worried about something or if you are upset about something, if you are feeling hopeless about something, all of those experiences, you know, if you've ever had any of them, you you know how they swirl around in your mind and then they swirl around in your gut and you, you can't, you know, you can feel like you're drowning in them. You can't figure out which way is up. So when you write down your feelings and you put them into words, it does a couple of things. One is it gives you something to do. Um, When you have a pen or a pencil in your hand and you have paper in front of you and you are writing on it, I, I don't recommend typing or computer work for this. I recommend handwriting. There is something about that task that is inherently comforting. I don't quite know what it is. I don't know if it's the tactile part of it, but when you sit down to sort of declare to yourself, I am going to try to understand this feeling, giving yourself a task helps to calm you down immediately. And when you are writing it down, you are having to pull from your rational, verbal, sequential brain because words have to come in order after each other in a sentence. So that order-giving, sequential, rational brain is the part that has to help you write. And so if you're awash in emotion or you're feeling hopeless or, you know, you're depressed, the very fact that you have to engage your left hemisphere of your brain actually brings light into that place that you're in, just by activ- activating another part of your brain in order to write it down. In uh, with children, um, they call this, you know, uh, activating executive function, and that's essentially what you're doing. You're, you're saying, in order to write this stuff down, I need the part of my brain that can think straight. And so, that feels good. It brings order to those feelings. The other thing that it does when you're writing stuff down, and, they, and they've done a lot of research on this, Andrea, as, as I'm sure you know, uh, where people actually improve on measures of Um, anxiety, PTSD, depression, when they do writing about their feelings, they don't improve if they just write on a neutral topic. So there's something about putting your personal experience down on paper that helps to calm us down. So it's a very effective, easy tool. And it's also a great aid for sleep. I'll just mention this to your listeners that if you, um, have been having trouble sleeping, if you, in the early evening, um, you know, just before or after dinner, not right before you go to bed, but earlier in the evening, if you write down on like a legal pad, all the things that you have to pay attention to or deal with the next day, excuse me, um, such as, um, you know, the things you are intending to do, and you write down, I will call so-and-so. I will um, pick up this from the pharmacist. I will... And you just do a kind of a mind dump of everything that you have to do for the next day, and you put it in intentional statements like, I will. It's amazing how comforting that is when you're doing it but it also is so good at helping you to sleep through the night
1: yeah because you're not you're already done worrying about tomorrow
2: <laughs> well you, you it's like you've satisfied that part of your of your brain that you're taking it seriously and you're not just going to go to sleep and forget all about it yeah. because that's what that part of the uh personality is afraid of is that yeah, you're going to go to sleep and then you're not going to do all this stuff because you won't ever remember it. So when you write it down, that part feels much better and lets you sleep.
1: Yeah, so, okay, we just have uh, like about two minutes before the end of the show, but I want to talk just briefly about boundaries. So how do we begin to set boundaries with others?
2: Well, the first thing to remember with emotionally immature people is that they do not like your boundaries, okay? Just like children don't really like adults' boundaries. Um, So you cannot expect that setting your boundaries is always going to have a successful result in terms of that other person honoring them or respecting them. The important thing is that you set the boundary and that you keep repeating the boundary, because you are not helpless if they um if they don't observe the boundary or if they you know come across your boundaries anyway. You can still repeat, you can remove yourself from the situation, you can do a lot of things to enforce your boundaries. But the one thing you shouldn't do is expect it to be a success easily. So when people expect that I'm gonna set the boundary and this person is going to listen and observe it and then they don't then people feel like failures they feel like oh i failed you know with my boundary setting but i just want people to realize that boundary setting is not something that people who are emotionally mature will go along with and you have to be prepared to keep consistent and keep setting the boundaries and that's how you get your success. It's not just setting the boundaries.
1: Yes, 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 yes. I'm so glad you said that because that is so true with so many of the people that I work with. They just think I've said it now they're supposed to do it and if they don't then somehow I just can quit now. I can quit, you know, taking care of my boundaries. Well, I wish we had more time right. to talk, Lindsay. This has been wonderful to talk with you. I would, I would I could, I could talk with you for three or four hours and be content. So, <laughs> but uh, same, same we here, <laughs> and we do have to go today, and so we're going to have to end the show. But maybe we can have you come back another time.
2: Oh, that would that would be delightful, Andrea. I'd love that.
1: Okay. All right. Well, we're going to go now. Uh, and remember, we're going to be coming back next Wednesday again. So I'll be talking to you guys again then. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.
0: Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.